Hey everybody, it's JT. What is on your holiday meal shopping list? Well, I would suggest Painted Hills Natural Beef. It is some of the best beef in the world. And your friends and family will be thanking you for a long time if you serve Painted Hills Natural Beef for your holiday meals. And now you can buy it online just by going to PaintedHillsBeef.com. Use the code BBQNATION at checkout and save yourself 15% on your order. Give Painted Hills Natural Beef a place on your table this holiday season. It's time for Barbecue Nation with JT. So fire up your grill, light the charcoal, and get your smoker cooking. Now, from the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in Portland, here's JT. Hey everybody, welcome to the nation. This is Barbecue Nation. I'm JT along with Camaro Dave and Commander Chris coming to you from the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios. This portion of Barbecue Nation is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef the way nature intended. Well, we've talked to um, him before, and he's always interesting, and he's always got a lot on his plate, pun intended, believe me. Stan Hayes from Operation Barbecue Relief, and it's been a big year for a lot of things that uh, weren't exactly positive, but Stan has, and his group always manages to help out. So, Stan, welcome back to Barbecue Nation. Hey, Jeff. Thank you again for having me back on and uh, appreciate all the support from you guys. No problem. No problem. Uh, It's always a pleasure. For those we've added, uh, since you've been on, we've added a number, uh, a good number more of markets. So let's start at the beginning just a little bit here. Bring everybody up to speed. How did you and why did you start Operation Barbecue Relief? Yeah, so, you know, um, almost 10 years ago, it'll be 10 years in May after the Joplin tornado, me and a couple of, uh, friends, you know, decided, Hey, you know what, we should go help the community. And, you know, what we're, what we're best at would be just to go cook a bunch of, you know, barbecue and, yeah. you know, feed them. And we're competition barbecue guys. I mean, who better to go set up in a parking lot at, with minimal needs than us. And so that's what we did. And why we were there, you know, it was not like an aha moment. It wasn't, you know, like, hey, we're going to go do this. We're going to turn it into a nonprofit. You know, it was, boy, there seems to be a big need after disasters happen. Sure. You know, if this is typical, food is one of the things that's lacking in those first days, even week, you know, maybe after a disaster happens. And as a a group like ours is uniquely qualified to come in and, and do this. So let's fill that gap. And that's how it started. Let's fill the gap, you know, between the time that the disaster happens till the time the, you know, the local organizations and, and community can take care of itself. And, and about that time, you're going to have all these the big national boys, you know, who are going to be in there for the weeks, months, maybe even years ahead to help them. Sure. And we can we can do our little part. And that's what we've been doing for the last nine and a half years <laughs> is filling those gaps. Um, and then finding new ways to fill gaps and help out, um, you know, in communities uh, with whether it's the fight on hunger or whether it's giving back um, and use our, our expertise in barbecue to do so. Well, as my uh, grandfather used to say, you come a fur piece since then, son. And uh, did you ever think you'd serve over 8 million meals? Uh, you know, no, I, I you know, it, it's funny when, when, we, when we realized we were going to serve a million meals, I was like, you know, I never thought of that, you know, <laughs> let alone, I mean, the fact that 8 million has come, you know, you know, 5 million meals have come this year, you know, um, 
that's that's the the part that I you know never thought. I mean, you know, once we hit a million, I knew two million was going to come. I knew three million, but you know, we hit three million earlier this year. Yeah. Well, how is let, let, let me jump in here for a second, Stan. How yeah. how different is it dealing with a national pandemic, the COVID lockdowns and stuff, versus a you know a, a hurricane or a flood or something like that? I mean, the meals are the same pretty much, but how different is it as far as the logistics and where you can go? Because some places you probably couldn't go and help these folks. So so you know when COVID really started locking things down, you know, we, we had to make a decision of how we were going to stay relevant, right? Like every other nonprofit and even for-profit businesses were. And uh, for us, it was pretty simple. You know, our model wasn't going to work. Our model of setting up in a parking lot and bringing hundreds of people together to cook meals for thousands of people, Mm -hmm. you know, wasn't going to work. And so, you know, we made that pivot over to, Let's let's invest in restaurants that were closing or closed. Let's go get them, you know, back open. Let's have them start providing the meals out there. So, you know, we, we created our own little stimulus program, if you will, sure. for small restaurants. Um, and, uh, you know, that grew into larger restaurants that grew into, you know, the state of Pennsylvania, um, you know, giving us a major grant to do it for the entire state through the, you know, to work with their food banks and food pantries around the state to get meals out. Um, and we just had to ramp up. I mean, we built a model that could, you know, started with one restaurant in Kansas city as a, as a, a trial. And we saw very quickly that that model was something that could be scalable across the country and we could scale that and add to it. And, and during the, you know, this pandemic, the one thing that always held true other than the large gathering piece was that food was an essential product and the people providing food were considered essential workers. So, you know, even though I didn't have, you know, I had a few volunteers that were out in the field and, you know, making sure that meals were getting out and they were quality meals and working with the restaurants, Sure. you know, to do so, um, you know, we became more of a logistics center. I mean, what we did with all of the restaurants that were part of our program was, we used our buying power for the number of meals needed to buy the the food. And during this time, there was a, you know, there was a shortage, but a surplus. The shortage was on the fresh meat, you know, side and stuff that you saw in the cases or didn't see in the cases during, during that time, because there was such a run on those products. Right. At the same time, those similar products and and whether it was pre-marinated, whether it was pre-cooked stuff, whether it was, Prepackaged, you know, for something else or for another, you know, co-branded for another company, set there. And so we, we, you know, and and I don't, I, by using these terms, do not think that I know what I'm talking about, other than that, <laughs> you know, I, I set on some coals. But we found these opportunity buys, which means there was this food that was sitting there that needed to be sold, and it was going to be at a wholesale rate. So it might have been one day, it might have been, you know. Mar- you know, pre-marinated, uh, you know, carne asada, you know, sure. the next day it could have been um, pre-marinated this. Uh, the next day it could have been, we've got, you know, chicken tenders, you know. Yeah. So yeah. we would go in there and we were getting these things. If if the cost was a dollar, let's say, we might have been getting them for 33 cents. 
Hmm. So we were able to do that and then using, you know, using that buying power, buying that and then having it trucked. Some of it, you know, by them, some of it by our own people. We went out and hired some, you know, through some logistics companies, brought on some drivers and trucks to move stuff around the state of Pennsylvania, move stuff around parts of the country to get the food where it needed to be. Um, and ultimately, you know, we served about 4.7 million meals in, in about a hundred days across eight different states. Primary, the primary state was the state of Pennsylvania though, right. during that time. Right. I know that one of our affiliates back there, you, um, I kind of introduced you to the guys and they took it from there, yeah. but they had you on their morning shows and stuff. And that's when you were first getting started. And yeah. they talked to me later and said, man, this guy is really making a difference back here. You know, and, and we're still hearing that. And, and, you know, unfortunately it's not, you know, we can't claim that it's over. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, I'm sitting here in meetings and, and we're talking about what happens this fall of things you know, we're already seeing in some of these cold weather States. Um, I mean, today, Wisconsin had, you know, had a thing that, you know, they're having a record number more right. so than what they had in March. Yeah. Now, yeah. You can sit here and say, Hey, yeah, we have, well, there's more testing. So we know there's more positives, but yes, but the, but the hospitals are full. So, you know, the, the key part of it, uh, we can debate on all of it actually, but the key part of it is, is that they have hospitals filling up. And people are, and so if this starts happening again, what's, you know, with a round two, which is what they predicted could happen anyway at the beginning of the year, um, this could, you know, God forbid that it, something has to shut down again, but we're already talking to many of the people, many of the companies that we've worked with in case they do, because since we did Pennsylvania, we have many other states that have been coming to us about this because of our success with the program there, including some governmental agencies that, that said, wow, you, you know, you did this for, how did you do this? <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and you know, for us, it's really, you know, this was our way of staying relevant, right? It was our way of bridging the gap and everything. Now you talk about what other changes. I mean, we just got back from, from doing, you know, three hurricanes and a derecho, which no one even knew what a derecho was until two months ago when it hit, Iowa. Um, and basically that's just a land hurricane with hurricane like, you know, winds of 140 miles an hour, but it was spread over 75 miles. It's a big path. And, and, and so we, in 75 days, we, we did four different disasters and we're sitting here today watching, you know, watching basically New Orleans to Gulfport right now on what's going to happen with hurricane Zeta coming in, just getting, upgraded to a category two. And I just got information about 30 minutes ago that they think it could make, you know, a category three before landfall. And so now, you know, there's never been a year that's gone this far into the Greek alphabet. Yeah, that's you know? true. That's true. Um, and, and I guess 2020 is just that year of, Hey, everything else is messed up. Why not just throw some more, you know, natural disasters on top of it. But for us, our volunteer numbers are very are, are down. We're not able to serve as many meals as we normally would during disasters because we can't get the number of people sure. to come out. I mean, we're, we're, we struggle. Um, and then, you know, when you look at Lake Charles, the community was so decimated, you know, and even, you know, 
even a month in, there were so many parts of the community that people hadn't come back to because one, there still wasn't power in many in parts of those areas, but two, what were they coming back to? They'd already come back and gotten the stuff that they could salvage, you know? So there are so many people that left the community. And I think we ended up with less than five volunteers that were actually from Lake Charles. We're going to take a break here on Barbecue Nation, get back and in a couple of minutes and talk some more with Dan Hayes from Operation Barbecue Relief. Great stories here, so stick with us. Hey everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT, and you're listening to us on the Sun BGI radio network across the country here. We've got Stan Hayes with us from Operation Barbecue Relief. If you'd like to contact us, it's really easy. You can just go to the Barbecue Nation website, which is barbecuenationjt.com, and there's a little button on there, and you can send us a message, and I will get back to you personally. And also, of course, we have Facebook and Twitter and a bazillion other social media platforms that we're on. But we're talking with Stan today from Operation Barbecue Relief. When you were talking in the the previous segment and you were talking about, you know, food that when you first started, like in Pennsylvania, when COVID kind of kicked up its heels and making everybody's life miserable. And then some of this was, this food was originally destined perhaps for other restaurants or other institutions and they were shut down and that. So was it kind of an upside for people that you were feeding Stan that the menu wasn't the same every day? Not that the menu's not great, but it, you know, they weren't going to get pulled pork sandwiches every day. Yeah. So I, I really, you know, one of the things about it is, yeah, I mean, we made it very clear to everybody, Hey, it's not going to be the normal. It's not going to be all. And, and we started moving away from that, you know, to vary the menus anyway. Sure. But you know, here we couldn't have, we couldn't have got pulled pork. You know, there yeah. was, I mean, when we were trying to work with our supplier, they're like, look, I have nothing to give you. I mean, they, they were shorting national contracts, you know, yeah. with restaurants, with, with uh, um, grocery store chains and everything because they didn't have the product. So, I mean, if they were, if they were supposed to go, you know, uh, you know, a hundred pork butts to, you know, each, each of these restaurants, let's say uh, that they had a national contract, they might've been getting 40. Yeah. And that's, uh, and because, you know, you can't, you, you look at the long-term effects of that this is still happening, that, that this is still having, you know, you can see it in the auto market. You can see it in, even in the food market right now, the lag of, you know, getting back to production. Mm-hmm. Um, it took a while to, you know, even when all the, you know, packing plants got up and running at full capacity again, I mean, there's only a handful of, of packers across the, the country um, that never shut down. True. And you know, when you heard me at the top of the show, talk about painted Hills, natural beef, because I've been with them yep. for years now and that, and when that happened, they had to go from like 600 cattle a week. Um, cause they're a pretty high end product and stuff. So they're just not, you know, running 5,000 uh, yeah. head a day, but so they, they went, they went from that, uh, for a couple of weeks, they had difficulty getting any cattle processed. And then when they came back, they, they started them out like at 250 a week to, to, yeah. cause they couldn't have, um, the cutters. 
those are skilled yeah. skilled workers. You know, people maybe not think that, but they truly are skilled and proficient workers. And they could yes. and and they couldn't process more than whatever that finite number was because some of those people got sick and a lot of them wouldn't come into work until they made these really big changes in the, on the floor in the processing plant. And, and I respect that, you know, I understand that. Oh yeah, but, absolutely. But they couldn't, there just wasn't enough people to process the carcasses when they came through. So eventually now they're back up to speed pretty much, you know, but there was a couple, three months there where, uh, they were really scratching their head and wringing their hands because those, you know, those cattle that, that are going into that, uh, into that production line. Um, if you only take 250 of 600, well, that other, uh, 350 has got to go somewhere. So they, they go to the back of the line or whatever, but they just keep coming, you know, it doesn't stop. So, uh, and, 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 and it, what most people don't understand, there's specs uh, at the, at these places. So your cattle get too big. They don't run down the, the, you know, through the, right. Their, their tables. And the, you know, those, the tables are set for, you know, for cutting a certain size product. I mean, the, it was much worse on the pork side. I mean, there were people euthanizing herds because it was going to cost, you know, because it was cost prohibitive to keep them alive because they couldn't get them sold. Every, I mean, every small processor that you take your deer and, you know, stuff to um, throughout the year were so backed up. Right. Um, because everybody wanted to take a pig down there because they don't have that, those kind of, but, you know, you know, you start bringing pigs in there and you start paying for the, the, the feed additionally, but then you find out that, oh, they can't even go on the, through, through X, Y, Z, you know, um, plant because they're too large. I mean, people were euthanizing herds. I mean, yeah. and I mean, it, it, it was, it's what no one wants to hear and no one wants to see. I mean, that w we should have been able to do something about it. Right. I mean, and I've got, there, no one had any plan in place. I, I have a, rightfully so. I have a cousin that's got a, you know, brick and mortar freestanding meat market. He's a one man show for the most part. He's been doing it for years. He likes it. But I know that he had to put a sign in his window, um, like no more private processing. He had to do that for several weeks because he couldn't keep up. He just couldn't keep up. Like you said, people wanted to bring in hogs or they had a, you know, they had a feeder steer that had gone already, you know, two months past where he was supposed to be uh, processed at. And that didn't happen. And, and Tim, um, you know, had a little, had a little backup there <laughs> and uh, uh, it was very hard on him. Yes. It was very, yep. very, very hard on it. <clears throat> we got, we got about a minute and a half where we go to break stand. When you go and you to a restaurant, one that had been shuttered and you say, we want to, we want to lease it or we want to open it back up for this. Uh, did most people jump at the chance or were any people hesitant to the restaurant owners? So, you know, there was some hesitation in some areas, but for the most part, what we were doing is we were giving them money to, you know, help pay the light bill, help pay for that, and to help pay for employees to come back. I mean, sure. You know, uh, you know, there's a negative stigma out there that, that a lot of employees, because of the federal bump and everything, you know, just wanted to sit home and collect checks. Well, there's a lot of people that would have made more money probably doing that, but they would they preferred to be out there working. Right. Right. And and 
I had many restaurateurs say, you know, I found out who I thought my go-to people were from this. Yeah. I had people that I counted on that I wanted for leadership positions in the future that just wanted to stay home. And some that I didn't think would do it that stepped up. Yep. So, I mean, I think you find out a lot about yourself and you find out a lot about your people, you know, during, during times of, of during good times and bad. And, and that happened, you know, during this, but for the most part, uh, we've had stories from many of them that it probably saved their business. Probably did. We're going to take another break. We're going to be back with Stan Hayes uh, in just a few minutes from Operation Barbecue Relief. Please stay with us. You're listening to Barbecue Nation. If you're enjoying GT and his show, come check out my podcast, Around the House with Eric G, where we talk home improvement and design right here where you catch this podcast. Head to AroundTheHouseOnline.com. I knew a man, Bojangles, and he danced for you. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT. We'd like to thank Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef uh, the way nature intended, and also Gunter Wilhelm Knives. Uh, if you don't have Gunter Wilhelm Knives, I suggest you give them a try. You can find out more about them on the web at GunterWilhelm.com. We're talking with Stan Hayes from Operation Barbecue Relief. Um, a friend of mine that owns some restaurants in Seattle. Um, Jack Timmons is his name up there. <clears throat> he kind of did the same thing, much smaller scale than you guys did because when COVID hit, of course, his business dried up and he had to lay off 60 employees and, and we had him on the show talking about it like that. And then he kind of got that same idea. He went to other restaurants, uh, that had been shuttered, leased them, made them satellites for takeout only throughout the city of Seattle. I think he did it with three different locations besides his two original locations. And they would cook everything at the main uh, restaurant because they had all the smokers and stuff. And then they would truck the stuff to these little satellite ones. Some of them were downtown, some of them were out in the burbs. And uh, that, that program I think went really well for him. And he got to bring some people back, uh, you know, put them on the payroll again. But um, when I talked to him later, some, some people didn't want to come back, but a lot of them did. And I know the community was very grateful for that. What kind of response do you get besides, you know, dishing up people's meals and that, but do people come up to you and talk later and say, man, this was, this was a godsend for us. You know, we've had some of that, um, you know, we, we've seen more of it in, in a response of, you know, social media posts, uh, sure. even some, some additional media itself where people have brought that up, um, you know, what, what, what we did, but more than anything, they talk about the restaurant and this was part of, this was a strategic part of the plan. When we went in there, it's like, Hey guys, this is going to help you in your community. You're going to be looked at as that pillar um, in the community that stepped up during this time and provided free meals in conjunction with this national nonprofit, you know? So, you know, it, 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 it got our name out there, obviously, but it also, you know, the, the, the secondary effect of that was really about their brand. And, you know, um, when you, when your brand is out there providing, you know, thousands of meals a day, into a community yeah, and people are, are seeing that. And, you know, I mean, 
yeah, it's great that they see, hey, you know, meals, you know, provided by Operation Barbecue Relief and so and so, you know. But who do you think they're going to remember more? Oh, the local. Remember the guy down the street, yeah, who goes to church with them, who's in this club with them, whose kids play football, and that that effect, and you know, that we were trying and pushing for, is what really has made you know strides for um, these restaurants as they open back up in those communities. Stan, since you started this year, I mean, not started Operation Barbecue Relief because that was you know, nine years ago or whatever. But since you started and learning to deal with the different uh, pandemic restrictions locally where you've been serving, because a lot of those are not federal, they're state and local um, yep. restrictions like that. What what have you learned uh, and what have you had to change since you started this in dealing with those local, I guess I want to call them restrictions, but yeah, you know. So, so what we first found is that we we took the CDC guidelines, right, and implemented them, you know, organization wide. And what we found is by implementing those, it doesn't matter what community we go into. We haven't found a community that is more restrictive than what the CDC guidelines, you know, recommend. Sure. So you know, so we went as far, you know, I guess as you could go. Um, so we didn't have to play the game, you know, on each and and we've gone into communities that, you know, that there's a relaxed mask order, you know, or there isn't a mask order. Um, but on site, it's 100 percent masks in the food area, you know, all food preparation areas and and certain, you know, we have mask signs. We have people that are walking around, you know, to, hey, you know, pull up your mask, all, all of those things. You know, but we set areas up, you know, where people can socially distance so they can come out and especially down in Louisiana when it was 90 degrees, 95 degrees and, you know, 100 percent humidity days um, because it takes more, you know, more breaks. It takes more out of people because now you've got another barrier across your your face that helps, you know, increases your your own body temperature. Sure. Um, But the only thing that we, you know, besides the mask that we did differently is, is the every 30 minute sanitizing, you know, cleaning, um, and, and changing of gloves and even in the middle of food production, you know, we, you know, um, we would stop every 30 minutes in the middle of food production, uh, for about 15 minutes to wipe everything down. Um, and, and, you know, ensure everybody changed gloves and everything. Cause you know, during food production, when you're, if you're doing 25,000 meals that day, you know, lunch could be, you know, could take an hour and a half to complete that. So during that time, it, it probably extended, you know, the, that time it takes to, you know, put all that yeah. food in, oh, yeah. you know, it, it, it probably extended it in another 45 minutes to get it done. How many, because, uh, how okay. many gloves do you think you went through hundreds of thousands or. I mean, yeah, I mean, easy, easy thousands. Of, I mean, you're probably talking an easy thousand, you know, a couple thousand a day. I mean, one of our things is, is guys, you touch something that isn't on that food table, you know, gloves are cheap. We have a lot of them. Yeah. You know, it when in doubt, you, you rub your face on accident and you're like, ah, oh, crap. When in doubt, you know, 
So, but it's certainly thousands a day. And, you know, when you, if it's thousands a day and, you know, you're on deployment 75, you know, approximately 75 days so far, you know, yeah, you're going through, you know, a lot, probably pushing a hundred thousand gloves. Yeah. Well, well, they're only um, a couple cents per glove. So yes, they, they don't add up and, that fast. And, and well, and, and the thing is, is that, you know, we were prepared for this. And one of the things that we had a lot of, you know, that we've had and, and, you know, stay in front of has been things like gloves. I mean, you know, we actually, you know, uh, at one point in time, we were like, you know, do, what do we do? Do Should we be donating some of these? But, you know, when, when FEMA, you know, when we got our, our letter basically stating um, through the national VOAD that we were a, an accent, uh, essential um, organization for, for feeding, we were like, you know, we, we can't go donate these to a local, you know, hospital that we know need them because we're going to need them. Right. Now we did, you know, have some in storage in certain places, uh, especially in, in, in um, the Gulf Coast area um, where we were able to donate some to to uh, hospitals um, locally. We did some donations to our local first responders to ensure that they had them when, you know, especially on the Missouri side, they had, uh, they had some issues where um, in getting, you know, getting orders in. And so you had, you had people that literally had no, uh, no PPA, no PPE um, if they were a first responder in areas. So, you know, you know, one of the things we did was we cleared out the warehouse of all those open boxes from all those events over the last two years. I mean, you know, once there's an open box and it would come back to the warehouse, we'd never send it back out. Right. We might use it at the warehouse, you know, for cleaning. We might use it for food, you know, for, you know, cooking for a group that was volunteering there. But it never went out to a disaster site again. So we just started, you know, picking those up and, you know, and, and paying it forward in, the, in our own community. Um, you know, if 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 you know, if you need a but um, I, you know, I, we're in a better place. I mean, you know, um, you know, as a country right now, when it comes to those things, and uh, hopefully that doesn't change. Yeah, I would, I would certainly hope so. That uh, you know, we've got uh, some stores now. We're a little better prepared, and uh, there'll always be, always be. Um, news stories about somebody you know, some incident, some particular hospital or whatever that's low on supplies, whatever. But I think overall, we're in pretty good shape on that. It, yeah, you know, we would hear quite a bit in the media, you know, that some place was low. And we actually, at one point in time, um, when we were, when we had some in the Gulf Coast that we, we needed to get rid of because they were actually, they were actually, um, you know, powdered gloves that were not good for, you know, food, you know, production sure, sure. Um, and preparation. Um, and, and hospitals didn't want those for obviously, you know, certain work, but they would use them for those, you know, for the non or for the essential workers that were working like front, you know, front desk area. They weren't right. actually working on patients and stuff. Um, but when we contacted a few of them, because you, you heard in the media, Hey, you know, XYZ hospital needs this. They're like, you know, unfortunately that was somebody in a certain department that made that, you know, we're, our supply is coming in you know, and, and, and we're fine, you know? So what you found is, is somebody in some department couldn't get gloves one day and they knew somebody Then all of a sudden it got to the media and now all of a sudden a major hospital, you know, and, yep. and one of the things that we found out is the major hospital, if they were going to do it, 
they, you know, their head of communication or their, their CEO would have been on the news asking for it. Right. Not, you know, <laughs> we're hearing this as a need. So, right. um, you know, it, it, again, I think that because of the time that we were in during that and there was such a shortage of PPE, uh, I think everybody was trying to do their part and, and do the right thing. Well, I think they were trying to do the right thing too, but you know, um, look, I'm in this world, this media world, and, and I can tell you, and I'm not questioning anybody's motives, but trauma and drama sell. Okay. Oh, sure. Absolutely. You know, yeah, absolutely. The, the shock value of that, and you can get people all up in arms over a couple of stories and, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and wrap up the show with Stan Hayes from Operation Barbecue Relief right after this on Barbecue Nation. Hey, everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Hey, welcome back to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT. Today, we're talking with Stan Hayes from Operation Barbecue Relief. Coming up the next hour, we've got Rick Hamilton from the Montana Outlaws. Going to hear a little bit from Rick up there. He's always fun to talk to. Um, And uh, I don't know if Stan's going to have time today to stick around for after hours, but if he does, that'll be great. If not, we'll catch him uh, next week or whenever we can make it work. The um, I guess one of the things that people would want to know is, when you when you go set up, and I know you've done this long enough that I'm sure it's like a short order drill when you get there and you know what to unload first and you know how to what to set up and stuff. Is all that equipment coming from your you know your headquarters, or is that things that you procure, rent, lease, whatever when you get to the site? So so yeah, so it's a great question, Jeff. You know, so a lot of the stuff is you know, we have now, um, you know, uh, but as, you know, we've grown, so has our site and so has our, you know, the logistics of setting it up. Um, and so has COVID, you know, the, um, what's happened, but, you know, we lease a lot of things such as, uh, um, generators, forklifts, things like that, but we already have a cat, you know, um, that's a sponsor of ours that, that we work with. And so they have, um, sort of what our needs are when we tell them, hey, we're going to need this. So we have packages built. So they're already working on, okay, they're going to need three generators. They're going to need two forklifts. They're going to need this and start putting that together. And, and you know, when we went to Lake Charles after Hurricane Laura hit, we had equipment rolling in while we were rolling in. Cool. First time it's ever been that quick. Um, and, uh, but it's because we built out these processes in advance. Um, but it takes us longer to set up. I mean, with social distancing and everything, we have the biggest cook areas that we've ever had. Um, granted, we're, we're doing some big numbers. I mean, we had an 80,000 meals and three weeks in Lake Charles. But you have to have more space. You've got to be able to socially distance people, you know, a little bit more and, 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 and everything else. We went out and bought, a, you know, got a grant to buy a bunkhouse that slept individual you know, people, sure. you know, in their own little room, own little pod in this bunkhouse, because I mean, well, we couldn't have found rooms for them. 
And if we didn't have rooms for people, we wouldn't have been able to get enough volunteers to be able to make a difference. Right. Um, in fact, we ended up buying a second one because it was sitting on the lot. We got a great deal. So we can sleep 26 people in individual, in their own individual bunk. Uh, I call it like a little pod. Sure. Um, on site. Um, and, and that's about, that's about on, on a big deployment, that's about a third of the volunteers that we actually need yeah. to really produce, you know, um, meals, uh, you know, 25 to 30 to 40,000 meals a day. Uh, who assigns where you are going to set up? You, do you choose it yourself or it is a, one of the disaster relief uh, organizations like FEMA or maybe the city government say, here, we're going to set you up here. So, so we'll work with, with the local government and we'll work with, uh, you know, uh, we're usually not working with FEMA directly on things like that. You know, we'll work with them when we're having trouble finding refrigerated trucks and stuff like that. Cause they've got them all rented up. But, um, no, when we come in there, we're, we're generally looking for our own. Um, we work with a lot of large companies that, you know, have some, uh, um, agreements with, um, that doesn't always work out. Um, but sometimes it does. And, and, you know, we started with the local government and looking at, and down in Lake Charles uh, at, at some of the places that they wanted us to be, but it, it was just too busy. There just wasn't enough room for our setups uh, and everything. So, you know, this is uh, um, one of those things that as we are uh, um, growing, we've, we've had to adapt a little bit more, but that's where we get into having, um, having these agreements with, you know, large companies like sure. Lowe's sure. to see whether or not, okay, is you know is that an option? Uh, Walmart is this an option, um, and and things like that. And and so we we prefer to you know if we wait for them and or the community to tell us where to go, we may not be able to get there. Do you so, um, do you ever feel like you just get inundated with people? I mean, if if the storm just made up scenario here, Stan, if the storm has happened and now it's safe for people to venture out uh and like you said maybe they haven't eaten for a couple of days and it goes out over the radio and the television that or however you do it and the people are there and you guys are set up is it like uh you know the um, uh, d-day 1944 just people just the ramps drop and people are coming is that how it works yeah now so so in in the scenario especially with covid um we actually fenced off the entire area that we were in to keep people from walking in there because, you know, you're, you're one person away from shutting down the whole operation. I right. mean, we had a very strict protocol of anybody that came on site from temperature checks to, um, you know, questionnaires, uh, asking everybody the same questions. Have, you know, have you been somewhere? Do you know someone? Have you been around someone? All of these questions um, before anybody ever came on site. So we did not serve meals on site. We worked with organizations who were setting up in different parts of the community. So we would try to point the people in those directions. It, it did make it hard because no matter what you tell the media, the media hears, you know, Operation Barbecue Relief at the Walmart parking lot. Right. If they don't hear that the meals are being served at numerous locations across the, the city. Um, and, it, and, and the downfall of being in a, in, in a Walmart parking lot, you know, is the number of people just that just see you and just think, oh, hey, they're a feeding organization. They'll feed us here. No, ma'am. Unfortunately, we're not feeding here. You know, with COVID and everything, we can't have a walk-up line. We can't 
you know, we don't have enough volunteers to do individual meals. And, and even when we, we got enough to do individual meals, um, this after uh, hurricane Delta, when we were back there, we actually did them out of the Lowe's parking lot, a half mile away. Yeah. Well, that makes so, sense. I mean, some people, and in those disasters, cause we've only got a little over a minute left Stan, but in those disasters, sometimes they have no transportation. Um, you know, right. if, if they, if they use public transportation, city buses or light rail or what, however they get around, sometimes those things are not operational. So it, it, it makes sense to spread out where you're serving, you know, instead of uh, just a centralized location, which, um, you know, may be difficult for some people to get to. Yeah. So, you know, that's why we, we try to work with the local, you know, church groups, civic groups, you know, we work with, uh, um, the, you know, the Salvation Army a lot of times, um, you know, and then there's uh, other nonprofit groups that we work with that, you know, have come into the community, you know, maybe it's, uh, they're more of, you know, we work with, uh, you know, a group called the Cajun Navy every once in a while, and those guys are coming in with flat bottom boats, helping rescue people, you know, in floodwaters area. Yep. I've, you know, after, afterwards, a lot of times they've been in those areas. They know where those people are. They'll come in and work with us and take food out to those areas. They'll feed those people. That's great. Again, thanks to Stan Hayes of Operation Barbecue Relief. They've got a website, Operation Barbecue Relief. Is it .com or .org? .org. .org. Okay. You can find out more there. Maybe you'd like to volunteer sometime for them. And speaking of volunteering, we're going to get off this hour, get back to the network, and we'll see you again on Barbecue Nation. Barbecue Nation is produced by JTSD LLC Productions in association with Envision Networks and Salem Media Group. All rights reserved.